0: welcome to the antioch podcast we're a justice-minded christian church in beautiful bend oregon seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things may the word of christ dwell in you fully and give you peace
1: the scripture reading today is from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing of God if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, but to save the world through him. And this is the word of the Lord.
2: Thank you, Pat. Well, Church, it's my uh, honor to introduce our guest speaker this morning. you know that every year we bring in about 10 or 12 guest speakers from uh, around the country or around the world um, for the sake of bringing various perspectives and voices that we might not get otherwise. And, uh, and there's a handful of new speakers that we, come, that we bring in uh, every year. But then there's a handful of kind of our, uh, our favorites that we bring back every year. Michelle Jones is one of our favorites. And uh, she's, uh, she's a pastor at one of our favorite churches, uh, Mago Day Community, up in Portland, Oregon, kind of a long-time Sister Church of Antioch's. And uh, she has a heart for discipleship and for spiritual formation. Um, she's been in ministry for a long time, but has a background in writing and television before that. Were you a writer on Living Color? In Living Color, you remember that show? So... <laughs> Maybe you don't just want to talk about that. I think people will be stoked. But (laughs) Um, she is one of my favorite um, pastors and preachers, and we are so grateful to have her with us this morning. She's going to be continuing on in our Lent series through the Gospels. So please welcome Pastor Michelle Jones.
0: I am convinced that God knows what He's doing when He uh, moves us from one place to another, and the fact that He brought me to ministry through television and entertainment. I am now in a space now at Imago Day where we are. Uh, Launching what we call story groups, where we're teaching our people how to tell their stories and how their stories connect to Jesus's story, and I am convinced that the the container of story is what God uses to tell us about Himself and about who He is and about how we relate to one another. So, working in television is one of those things I could talk about all day, um, but today we are in the second week of Lent, so I'm going to actually behave myself and be what I am today (laughs) so I'm looking up because I see the clock all right just want to make sure it's there I want to begin with a um, with a piece of poetry called Lenten tree I am the Lenten tree stripped of what makes me a celebration for holy and heathen alike I am alone naked and ignored without, and without all but wisdom and want. I am ugly and proud, enduring the cold, bending and breathing in the blow, refusing to reject the offer of a cloud shrouded sun. Surely tomorrow follows today, but today is my only gift. Today I am. You are a fool who calls it the dead of winter, For I am your answer, a resurrection. Look upon me. I am an arm reaching up from a grave, bony brown hand praising the unseen God who waits with withoutness. I am a crowded sanctuary full of faith and blind sight, a soundless choir meant for no ears but his, hope deferred a communion. I am secret worship. Sent, scent, uncarried by a howlless wind. In love we love alone, until the smile which cannot hide forever pulls back the austere shroud to thaw and draw us from the private dance, splitting the skin of eager suppling fingers to call forth our joy into spring. We are in the second week of Lent, And it's a season that is shifting us back to what matters. It's our voluntary return to the wilderness and to God who meets us, mind, body, and soul, with his enoughness. Last week, Pete talked to you about Jesus' time of temptation in the wilderness. And I really appreciated, Pete, the distinction that you made between temptation and testing, that Satan tempts us hoping that we can fail and he can show us what we're not. But God tests us to bring out who we are, his sons and daughters. And then he works out of us what isn't consistent with that truth. So that's where I want to start today. Because even though the season of Lent takes us to an austere place, it's not just about that. To be sure Lent reminds us how far from God we are but it also tells us how far God has gone and will go to bring us home. You can't have one without the other. If you have how far we are from God then you are ignoring grace if you don't have the other and if you have the other without the former then it devalues grace and it cheapens it. So today we see Lent. And I want you to consider Lent not from the informational or from the instructional standpoint, but from an invitational one. Because the finger of God is not pointing or scolding. The finger of God is always beckoning. It's always calling us into himself. And Lent is as much about belonging to God as it is about being with God, which brings us to our text. John 3, 1 through 17. Now within this passage is the most famous John 3.16, which many people who are saved can recite. But where we're going today is to the story that birthed the born-again passage. We're going to see the whole passage and it will show us not just what it looks like to be distant from God, but it'll also show us how God crossed that distance with Jesus Christ, just to have us with him. So we meet a man named Nicodemus, and he's a Pharisee, the Bible says, he's a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council. Those are specifics that tell us three things about Nicodemus, he's a teacher, he's a priest, and he's an influential politician, all rolled into one. That's that's amazing. And when you think about who Nicodemus is, you think about how he is the guy that everybody goes to to find out how to be in their world, in in where they were. John 2 and 3 says, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And then Jesus replies verily I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again now seems like these are two conversations just kind of crossing each other but they're not so it says first that he came by night now there's lots of conjecture did he come by night because he didn't want anybody to know who he was did he come by night because he worked all day and he just didn't have time why did he come by night I think the simplest answer is the best I like to think of things in terms of parables, because so much of our passages in scripture are just parabolic. They're just symbolic. He's a guy in the dark, period. I can relate to him that way, because I'm in the dark a lot. I go to Jesus a lot because I'm in the dark. And this is where we're going to put Nicodemus today. He's just a dude in the dark with some questions. But here's the thing. He comes like a man who knows something. We know. I want you to put a pin in that we know. We know that you are a teacher come from God. First he calls him rabbi. Then he says, we know you're a teacher who's come from God because nobody can do the things that you do. So if that's the case, you know he's a rabbi. You know he's come from God. You know the works that he's done. Why come by night? I'm just saying. Just asking. So Jesus doesn't answer him like a man who knows something. Jesus answers him like a man who's looking for something. And so Jesus answers him and says, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He answers the question Nicodemus is not asking. Because let's look at it. The Pharisees, it it specifically mentions he's a Pharisee. And the Pharisees truly did believe that an anointed one, that an anointed Lord would come and overthrow the current government, that a Messiah would restore Israel to the glory of David's kingdom, that the righteous, meaning Pharisees and people like them, would be resurrected and recorded and rewarded in the afterlife for their deeds. And they waited for that, and they struggled under Roman rule, but with that hope, So even though Nicodemus is foot shuffling, Jesus gets right to the point. Let's just talk about this. If you think I come from God, you want to talk about the kingdom. And we know that this is the case because Nicodemus is right in there. He doesn't say, oh, I didn't come to talk about that. He starts asking questions right away. So Jesus tells him, no one can see the kingdom unless they are born again. And that word see means you can't physically see it with your eyes. You can't perceive it with the mind. You can't think it. You can't discern it. You can't recognize it. You can't know it unless you are born again. In other words, you can't think, deduce, or figure your way into the kingdom of God. You must be born again in order to see it and understand it. So Nicodemus's reply is very telling. Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, we know that Nicodemus is not like an idiot. He didn't actually take this literally. The kingdom conversation is clearly the one that he wants to have. And so what he wants in this space is he wants clarity. And then he says, surely a man can't enter into his mother's womb again. Translation, so how do you get in? So what's the key? Where's the door? What's the action? What do I need to do to be able to get into the kingdom? Now, he, as a Pharisee, is convinced His brain is working around, there's got to be some agency. There's got to be something you can do. Because let's face it, at the end in the resurrection, all of us who have been doing all of the things that we should be doing are going to have eternal life. So be clear, Rabbi, about what it is you're saying when you say, when you talk about the kingdom of God and entering it. So Jesus gets a little clearer. In verses five through eight, Jesus answers, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit first thing he tells him, you can't work your way in. You can't expect that some behavior will get you in, or that there's some VIP list that you can point to and say, yeah, I'm on the list, just let me in. In the same way that even though you hear it, you can't figure out where the wind begins and ends, much less harness it and tell it where to go or how to blow, you cannot control or manage How you're conceived much less born the spirit does all the doing now this basically means what we see in the passage in Titus where it says in Titus 3 5 to 6 he saved us meaning God not because of the righteous things we had done but because of his mercy He saved us through the washing of the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, water and spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, or that person is a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. Nicodemus didn't have Titus and he didn't have the letter to the church at Corinth. But this image of being born of water and spirit is not something that he would not understand. We see it everywhere in the law and the prophets. We see it in Psalm 51, where David talks about washing him with hyssop and creating in him a clean heart and a new spirit. We see it in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah 13. But the most obvious one is in Ezekiel 36:25 to 27 where God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That is imagery of both water and spirit and what it means to be reborn and what it means to become new. But it is also imagery that you can't do the work. In that passage, God does all the work. And man has absolutely no agency in it. And so then you've got Nicodemus who's just like, but how can this be? I don't get it and Jesus says you're Israel's teacher and how do you not understand this I'm literally giving you imagery that you are very familiar with now you feel Nicodemus's frustration he stepped into he's 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 so steeped in his knowledge as a teacher he's so centered in his work-centered legalism as a Pharisee that he cannot help but doubt when he's faced with somebody who's telling him, you can't save yourself unless you let go of yourself. It's the rich young ruler who said, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, get rid of that stuff that you define yourself with and follow me. And the Bible says he went away sad It's it's Paul, who was, as he described himself, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, born, circumcised the eighth day, all the things. He said, but I count it all as dung, as garbage, as nothing, so that I might know Christ. It's me and you. What would it be difficult for you to part with in order to follow Jesus? What would it be difficult for you to say, all right, let me let go of this. If there's anything that comes to your mind, if it's your money, it's your spouse, it's your your status, it's your children, it's your job, it's your position, whatever it happens to be, start there and say, okay, God, do I have A spiritual understanding of this thing I have in my hand. And if I don't, give me that. Give me the spiritual understanding of it so that I'm not floundering like Nicodemus saying, I don't get it, I just don't get it. What are you willing to part with? So Nicodemus is a teacher and he still can't get it because let's face it, he wants a kingdom that makes sense to him. He wants a kingdom on his terms with a God that he can impress or haggle with. He's trying to strip the kingdom of its mystery so that he can do whatever it takes to acquire it while Jesus is revealing that in Jesus is revealing that the mystery of the kingdom is that you cannot do anything to acquire it. So I was thinking as I was working on this sermon, they're at cross purposes, and I could just hear the Holy Spirit going, pun intended. (laughs) He's saying you cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. You cannot demand it. You You are not entitled to it, and you can't wrestle it from the hand of God. You can't decipher it or decode its whereabouts. And you can just see Nicodemus pulling his hair out. Okay, then what can I do? Because you just, you imagine like dumb and dumber. He's like, you're saying there's a chance. And he's like, so what can I do? And Jesus basically tells him, what you can do is you can trust me. And so he says... John 3, 3, 11 to 13, Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe it if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. You, Nicodemus, can trust me because of who you are. Jesus has fulfilled every requirement of the law to be believed. He says, remember when I told you to stick a pin in we know? Well, we establishes that there are two or more people who know that you are a teacher from God. So then Jesus says, We know what we speak of. In other words, truth is established in the mouth of two or more. And so Jesus is telling him, In the same way you say, We know that you are X, Y, and Z, Jesus is saying, We know what we know. And we know, Jesus says the same, the same thing, but he says, We know. And he says, It's him. John the Baptist, the disciples, these people, he says, we've seen it, we've touched it, we know it, we have it. We've experienced, we've seen it, and you won't accept our testimony. You're a teacher, you're Israel's teacher, and you speak what, we know, what you know, or you rather, you know what you speak. You know what it is you're saying. Jesus is saying, but we speak what we know, where we've been, We get it, and we understand it, and we are witnesses, and your own law says that if we know and we understand because we were there and we witnessed it, then two or more of us say it, you should believe it, and it's truth. But you won't believe it. And then he says, you can trust me because of who I am. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the son of man. Now, Jesus goes total Captain Obvious here on Nicodemus. And if you notice, he's just getting clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. He says, look, I talk to you of earthly things, babies, wind, witnesses, all those things, testimony, These are things that have happened on earth and you're not getting it and you don't believe it. So he says, how will you believe when I speak of heavenly things? Translation, I can speak of heavenly things. And then he says, because no one has gone up to heaven. Who in here has ever been skydiving? There we go. Okay. If this guy, you've never been skydiving, tells you you should go. It's amazing are you going to believe that guy and now because he hasn't been up there he doesn't know what it feels like to be up in the sky and to see the mountains from up above them and all the things he doesn't know so Jesus is telling you you cannot speak of heavenly things unless you've been there and so he says to him no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came there Son of man. So he's telling you, skydiving is amazing. And I know because I've been there and only one guy has been there, the son of man. So he's totally Captain Obvious on him, right? And he's still not getting it. So Jesus says, we're going to do the big finish here. And then he says, he pulls everything together with one image. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now Moses was their dude. The dumbest Jew who flunked out of Hebrew school knows the story that he's referring to here. It's in Numbers 21. Israel is impatient. They're mad at God. you out in the wilderness. We hate you. You're awful. Moses, we hate you too. You suck. God sucks. Everybody sucks. And so God's just like, ah, these people. So he sends snakes and they're venomous snakes. And they start to like bite these people, and they start to kill them. And then they come to Moses, and they say, we've sinned, and we've spoken against the Lord, and we've spoken against you. We get it. We understand. So could you pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us? So Moses prays. And then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it, and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. And when anyone who was bitten by the snake looked at the bronze snake, they lived. In the same way, Jesus is saying, Israel understood that they sinned. They understood they couldn't save themselves. They asked Moses to intercede. Moses lifts up the snake, symbolic of the death that was the result of their sin, on a pole. And they looked at, looked to, believed in the snake and lived. Notice they did not look up to Moses. They looked at the snake. In the words of St. Augustine, he says, The Jews looked upon a serpent to be freed from serpents, and we look upon the death of Christ to be delivered from death. The Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Now if you have a red letter Bible, then you know that by the time you get through 15, all the red letters are gone and we go straight into the black letters, right? And there's a reason for that because John has changed his focus from the reader, from the story to the reader. And so that's important because here's the thing you gotta understand, all stories, good stories, point to a truth and all truths Invite you to believe. John told this story to point us to this truth in John 3:16 and 17. And by doing so, he invites us to believe in the same way Jesus invites Nicodemus to see to, to, invites Nicodemus to be saved. Jesus was not trying to condemn Nicodemus, he's trying to save Nicodemus. Nicodemus who believes he's already saved because he's a Pharisee, who believes Moses is his father, who believes that he can work, earn, or behave himself into eternal life. So let me switch my focus. Let me switch my focus from the sermon to the listener. Someone in this room is not saved, but you hear the wind, you hear it, you feel it it's blowing on your face. It's blowing on your spirit. It's blowing on your mind. And just like Jesus took time with Nicodemus, he took the time to come here today to explain himself to you today. And it doesn't matter if you're in this room or if you're at the other sound of my voice in audio or if you're on that camera. You hear it. You hear it and you feel it. There are some things about this passage, about that John 3.16 that didn't make sense before today. And it makes sense today. And you feel it in your knower. And as the Holy Spirit says in Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Believe first, ask questions later. Think about the thief who's hanging on the cross next to Jesus, he says, to the other guy, he says, don't you fear God? We are punished justly for what we're getting, for what, and we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this guy, this guy's done nothing wrong. And then he says, Jesus, calls him by name. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This guy is probably one of the most impressive people in scripture to me. And he's impressive because I believe he saw, because he's right next to him, he saw Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who does that, dying on a cross? Forgive the people who put me here. Nobody does that. Nobody's going to waste their time dying doing that. He heard him being mocked as Jesus, the Messiah, the Chosen One. He sees the sign above Jesus' head, which reads, This is the King of the Jews and he sees him. Some things that didn't make sense in his whole pitiful life make sense right now, and he doesn't waste time. He says, Jesus, he says, Savior, when you get to where you're going, just remember me. He doesn't say, What do I need to do to get in? He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't try to fix his past. He doesn't say, Look, I know I did this. I'm really sorry. You know, he doesn't do any of that. He just says, You remember me. He gives all agency to Jesus. D.L. Moody says, The thief had nails through both hands so that he could not work. And a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or foot toward his salvation. And yet, Christ offered him the gift to God. And that is what he's doing. The story of Nicodemus and this thief and so many others. So many people that you know and don't know. Point to a truth. If you believe Believe, if you believe this truth, say it. If you believe it, find somebody in this room and say, I believe today. If you're on this video, find somebody in your life and say, I believe today. Tell somebody. Religion says attain, the gospel says obtain. Religion says attempt, the gospel says accept. Religion says try. The gospel says trust. Religion says do this. The gospel says it's done. I would add one more to that. Religion says pay. The gospel says pray. Let's do that. God, you are our savior. We can't do this. We must be born again We must trust that the work of believing is the door. It's the key. That the only thing we bring to this party is the sin that makes this party necessary. So Father, I am praying for any and everyone in this room who sees you today, who sees you on that cross, who sees that you were mocked, who saw you say forgive them and knew that they are included in that group of people that Jesus said forgive. I pray for those who are believing today. I pray for those who hear me and believe. I pray, Lord, that you would bring them into the company of someone who can walk with them on this journey. I thank you, Lord, for even making this journey possible. In Jesus' name, amen.